welcome listeners to this week's Behind the Scenes with Latinx Lit Audio Mag. I'm your host, Teresa Douglas. And today we're interviewing Ramon Jimenez, who is a member of the Mexican diaspora who is from LA, but now is lost in the city of Seattle. He teaches, writes poetry, and also writes short stories. Welcome, Ramon. Hey, how's it going, everybody? My name is Ramon Jimenez, and I am honored to be here um, on the pa- podcast here with Teresa. It's nice to have you. You know, I what we do here on the podcast, definitely, we talk about stories, poetry, but it's all about the food, um, too. That's, that's sort of a secret thing about this podcast. So I always start by asking a very, very important food-related question, which is, what is your favorite comfort food? Mm, that is a hard question. Of all the foods in the world, you're going to make me narrow it down to one, huh? <laughs> or like um, five. Like just, oh, just five. I can, I can list to five. Um, you know, I oscillate between ceviche and birria. Ooh. So I like ceviche peruano. I'm Mexican, so of course I'm going to like Mexican ceviche, uh, pescado, camarón, jaiba, guachile. Um, so yeah, it's going to either be ceviche um for the summer, right? And here when mm-hmm. we get these uh, winter, fall, and it starts to rain, I'm really going to crave a uh, soup. I'm going to crave birria. I'm going to crave mm-hmm. caldo de res, caldo de pollo, uh, something with a broth in it. Uh, something about the broth that heals not only the body, but the soul. So it's going to be ceviche or birria. One of those two are going to be my go-to comfort foods. The two dishes that I can make with both of my hands tied behind my back. Ah, they sound good. So it sounds like everybody, if you're having a barbecue, maybe invite Ramon, ask him to make you some food. I think this could be a real good, real good relationship because some people like to eat and you like to cook. So, you know, that'll, that'll work out. Oh, yes. uh. So thank you for sharing that. I I definitely think, especially living in Seattle, the soup has got to be a a big thing. I live in Vancouver, so just a little above you and, and that rain. That rain needs soup. That's all I got to say about that. Oh, yeah. That rain can really do uh, do a number on you. So, indeed, it is uh, yeah, a little, a little soup, but even some pho or some menudo, if you can mm-hmm. find it, will, will definitely uh, change your life for sure. A little something warm. So so that's food. And I, I promise I, I'm not going to make you talk about food on the this whole podcast because I actually brought you here <laughs> to talk about your writing. Um, let, let's talk about your writing. How long, in fact have you been writing? I have been writing since around 2014, 15, I would say. Hmm. Um, I got um, started by first getting into science fiction. and I had ambitions to write like the first science fiction novel or something uh, a couple years ago. And then um, when I graduated from grad school, I studied political science at San Diego State. Um, I found myself bored with academia and I needed a creative outlet. So just I got a random summer job teaching poetry and creative writing to to young people here in Seattle uh, doing a program called The Boot. Uh, That was around 2015 or 2016. And I started writing poetry from then on. And Mm. um, I abandoned science fiction, focused specifically on poetry did that for about two years. And then I started getting the idea to write 
short story and turn mm-hmm. uh, actual chapters in my life into uh, short stories or versions of, uh, of my life. And so it's been around, yeah, I would say about five to six years of writing. That's interesting. And and since we always like to, to talk about things that are helping writers, was was would you like to give a shout out to The Boot and, and what they do? Oh, yeah. Let's give a shout out to The Boot. The Boot is a young writers workshop that has been around uh, Seattle since the mid 1990s based out of West Seattle. It is a program where young people get paid to learn to write and perform creative writing. Yes, they get paid and they also earn creative writing credit that they can use to graduate from high school. Our program has been around for almost about 30 something years. And Mm -hmm. we have about like, yeah, three generations of writers that have come out of this uh, program. Uh, The young people that work here uh, that that, that we work with are great, always inspiring. And um, my favorite part is watching them perform for in front of a live audience and get published. So yeah, great program. And you can definitely check us out um, um, at boot. I think it's boot.org is our website. Um, uh, I'll see if I can remember the specific website. Um, And we also have an IG page, SW boot, I think it is. So definitely check us out and uh, yeah, support the youth. That's amazing. So it's funny. It's a little, I'm a little gobsmacked to think that you were able to turn on that poetry by saying, hey, I'm going to go teach this thing. Uh, you, you didn't do any poetry before that, before you went in and, and just sort of gave it a go? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so before I started writing poetry, I've always been interested in rhyme. I've mm-hmm. always, uh, you know, paid attention to songs. Uh, growing up in a Mexican household, I think, because uh, I, I always wondered, like, how did I get into poetry? And, um, you know, I, it's not something I was born with or nothing like that. I didn't, I don't have a background in MFA or any kind of literary kind of stuff, um, more social sciences. But I think, I, I think it all starts from from childhood, uh, having two parents that are Mexican. Um, that just kind of raised us in a household full, full of songs, jokes, nice. jokes that rhyme, uh, a lot of jokes that rhyme. Uh, and so that maybe perhaps is where I may have gotten introduced to poetry. And then, you know, living in L.A., growing up in L.A. in parts of Southern California, you grow up with a lot of rap. So I yeah. think maybe perhaps that's where the foundation came from. It was just it was inside of me there. But um, it I needed an outlet and a format to actually write it down and take it serious and to actually, you know, record some of it down. So that's how I was able. I think I, I it's, it's kind of a weird journey, but I think I had all of the ingredients if we're talking about food. Right. To, mm-hmm. to, to create poetry, but I just didn't know how to combine them together until I actually had to start teaching creative writing. Um, yeah. So I think that's kind of how I got into it, yeah. I feel like a lot of that experience, I mean, it just kind of rings true because especially, I, I can't speak for every household. I know in mine anyway, growing up, there were lots of stories. There's lots of oral tra- things just being passed down. And so it was almost like you were in classes on how to to shape narrative, if we want to put a literary spin on, on what was actually happening. Yes. And and it's it's a really neat thing. I, I don't know how many people have that. I mean, I have folks that come on this podcast that have been doing something and they can't remember when they started it because it, mm. it was just sort of a 
a part of their lives. And it sounds kind of like that, that that was the same for you. That it's it might not have been a formal class. Everybody sit down and let's let's write this thing. <laughs> right. But but you're there and you're hearing it and you're exposed to it. And song is so I mean, it, it's poetry in a different form, really. I mean, yes. So that, that makes a lot of sense to me. So that's that's fascinating. So it sounds like poetry was made. You, you wrote some science fiction. You have poetry. You you're you're in short stories. Do you have a favorite, or are all these things your favorite? Oh man, oh, that's that's a hard question. I um, I'm gonna say uh, my favorite will uh, is gonna be poetry for now, because mm-hmm. poetry is faster to produce, um, much easier to edit. I don't have all the time in the world. Uh, sometimes, being an educator, working two mm-hmm. jobs, living in the United States of America, right? Um, so um, sh- so for in terms of that regard, I will say yeah, poetry is gonna be my 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 first love because of how easy it can just flow off the tongue how fast it is to produce it and mm-hmm. and, and and the satisfaction that i get look i created a poem boom it's done uh so I, i'm gonna be more biased to uh to to poetry in that regard but you know there's some magic to short story as well mm-hmm. um it takes a little it's, it's just, it takes me a lot more time or effort to write a short story uh i had like a joke like i write one short story a year every summer right and um you get one one a year and that's it um because it it, i mean it's a time commitment and um they're a lot harder to pull off and they get rejected way way more than 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 poem than my poems do um so i find myself being way more biased towards poetry um and poetry has less rules I, i'm not a very rules-based person I'm, I'm very chaotic in my in my life so um poetry works for me i can just do i can put whatever i want on a piece of paper and boom it's a poem if i have to create a short story yeah i have to create characters that are real dialogues that are real plots and plot twists and everything like that has to make sense the setting has to make sense it, it starts to become like a research assignment or something mm-hmm. and so maybe perhaps that's why I lean more towards poetry. Poetry, I can just, I can wake up at any time in the night, in the morning, drink a coffee, and that's what's on my mind. I'm going to just throw it out there. Boom, that's a poem. Um, and so I think that's the, yeah, that's, a, I lean more towards poetry. But for some reason, like you were saying, the, the, the idea of telling stories is so embedded in me. I, I, I sit around and tell stories all day with friends, family, and stuff that I, I felt that there's a couple of stories that I do have that I don't just want disappearing into nothingness. And so uh, that's why I started writing short story and just kind of taking them in because um, I don't want to lose them and I don't want someone else telling them for me. Yeah. You know? so, your stories. My stories. Yes, yes, yes. My tragedies. My pain. Yeah. So I don't, <laughs> let me have my yeah. pain. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, let, now that we're, we're talking about short stories, let's talk about I'm not Catholic anymore. I, I would, I want to say, uh, try not to gush until after I ask you what caused the idea. I, I often fail, but I'm going to sh- I'm going to say really in a very small amount of time what one of the things I loved about the story, which is I feel like as as a, a listener or a reader of this, you you're really in Jose's head, and I 100% believed this 20 year old young adult in the situation he's in, and I felt like that was so true to life. I loved that about this piece. 
And I would love to hear from you just what was the idea that sparked it and, and your process of writing it? Like, for example, did you just kind of, it came out or did you have to do draft and draft and draft? How did, how did you come up with this thing? I came up with this story uh, out of years of arguing with my parents. I love my parents. Um, I'm going to say that first. I'm <laughs> Regañez, you know, I don't want to get in trouble. Um, and I was actually scared of submitting this story, to be honest. I still am, the, the backlash mm-hmm. alone. But, uh, you know, my parents don't speak English, so who? Um, <laughs> I, I was scared. Uh, I, I have. We've argued uh, back and forth about religion since I was a teenager, um, and that's where the idea came and it is based on is based on uh based on a true story unfortunately mm-hmm. not proud of uh this true story but um it came about from a lot of debates with my parents and with other family members who are constantly trying to get me to accept catholicism into my life even though i have explained to them numerous times that i am an a- atheist agnostic or that i just it's not it doesn't vibe with me mm-hmm. um uh, and so through constantly having these debates, these arguments, um, and just reflecting back on all of these different times that I've that they've made me go to church, even as an adult, um, mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh man, this is a story. I tell it all the time. Uh, I tell it at parties. It's I'm done talking about it. Let me write it. Let me start drafting it. Let me start making it something. But let me also make it in a way that I have freedom. Because if I make it autobiographical, then I'm constrained by you know." Um, um, the limits of that. So I yeah. want to make it a little more. I want to add a little more to it. I want to throw in a couple wild elements. I want to make versions of uh, you know, different characters and and kind of see where it goes. And so that it, through all of these debates of, yeah, just, yeah, I know that's a like, Lesia, you don't go to church. Why aren't you going to church? Why aren't you, you know, if you, uh, I just got married a couple months ago. Oh, you're not going to get married by the priest. And then you're going to have a secular ceremony. All of these, all of these criticisms that I've received from my parents and from my entire family and, and other people that I've met that are Mexican and, and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just like, I feel like I needed to write something that responds to that because not all of us are Catholic or religious. Um, and they con- and I think, uh, you know, whether it's Mexicans or people from other backgrounds, Latino, Latinx, uh, we all oftentimes get lumped in to be like, we're all Catholic or something. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I had a hard time imagining that that, that, that that is everyone's story or everyone's uh, perspective. And then there's the, the the thing that happens with a lot of immigrant communities, uh, the expectations of immigrant parents versus the reality, right? And so I feel like a lot of people that I've met, that I've interacted with that are friends of mine, from different immigrant backgrounds, uh, they, you know, that's the one thing we always have in common, our parents' expectations. Yeah. They expect Doctor, us married kids. <laughs> Doctor, lawyer, teacher, married kids. Boom. Yep. Yeah. And that's it. Do. Yeah. You know, and I, so, you know, it, that, that, that's where this story came from. Yeah. I have jokes that like I could discover a cure for cancer. I could solve, uh, the you know the conflict right now in Ukraine. If I if I went and solved that and got a Nobel Peace Prize, my mom would still not be proud of me until I'm married with kids. So, <laughs> so yeah, and, and, and I get it's a, such a thing, and it's it's. I don't know that I see this shown really elsewhere in, in specific to the Latinx community, out, and, and that's another thing I really I really liked about this piece is because. Is because this character who is who's you but not you, 
Jose and he he loves his family. Like he, he wants to, he has these, these ideas. Like I want to cuss him out and tell him all these things, but he doesn't, he doesn't, he goes. And you know, there's this idea that last time he brought it up, his mom didn't talk to him and you get the real big impression that that was distressing because this is still his mom, right? Like even yes. if they're making him do this thing, he doesn't want to do, he's an adult. He's made up his mind and he's not allowed to have an adult decision. It's, that that family like you just they're just there <laughs> and who are you who are you when you're not with your family who are you if you're a mexican who's not catholic and and just this idea that you can't quit them and maybe you don't even want to but man is it hard if you can't just do the thing as an adult that you you've decided is your value system and i i loved the way that came out I'm, I'm trying desperately not to shuffle in a way that's going to be on the microphone. Sorry, listeners, mm-hmm. but it's happening. And and then there's the humor of it. The the idea that here here here's Leslie and Jose, and they're like they're just high off their butt. They're trying not they're trying not to act high. Like how does my mom know what high people act like? And here are these you know demon eyes at the church, which is really funny. But it's it's what do you? It, it just felt so real. Because you love them, but you can be annoyed with them. And, and how are you your own person if you're not allowed to make all your own decisions? And, and it was that, that to me was like the biggest strength of this piece, especially at the end. And I am just going to have to shuffle because mm-hmm. I can't do this quietly. But, and this idea of archaic nostalgia, you know, this, this, this three hour thing that's happened and, and at the end, the idea of, I just wish they would be okay with my decision. And that was so poignant. Again, this idea that, uh, you know, what, what are we going to do? And, and there's just so much internal conflict in this piece. And I think, like you said, there are a lot of people who've been in, in that position where it's not like you want to give up all of your cultural traditions you just mm. don't want to do this one thing. And how mm. do you how do you move forward when this is not a part of your life and won't be with, with future children that, that you may choose to have. So I I really like that. It, it it was it was so well done and and I think a lot of people are going to going to identify it when with it as as they listen to it. Which hopefully they listen to it already because otherwise this conversation makes zero sense <laughs> at all. And, and so I guess just with that and, and these ideas that, that came into this piece, what sort of impression would you like listeners in this case to to have after listening to your, your story? Hmm, I guess I never thought about uh, what people would uh, think of it. Um, yeah, I want people to definitely think about um, – I feel like I would definitely want – other people that are in the same situation. Um, I no longer live um, in the same state that my parents live in. Um, so I'm, you know, I have distance. Uh, but if you are in a situation like that, where your parents uh, are, and your family is large, overbearing, kind of like I think of like my big fat Greek wedding, kind of like I feel, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the vibe, right? Um, if you are in that situation, um, you can become your own person. 
You, you won't do it in a week or two. You won't do it in a month. But give yourself time. Find a way to create that distance. And you will become your own person. So I think for the people, for a young reader who is in a similar situation like that, um, that's kind of the impression I hope they walk away with. Um, for people that are not from the community, maybe someone from a different community or maybe white people reading this, uh, I want them to take away the fact, uh, take away or, uh, in, you know, at least, um, gain the impression that uh this is what we go through these are the Mm -hmm. dilemmas that us uh latinx people mexican people in the u.s uh us children of immigrants this is what we struggle with these are the pressures that we have um not just having to deal with assimilation discrimination all the asians right having Mm -hmm. to deal with uh pleasing our parents who may have these very rigid standards. Um, so when um, they try to say that, oh, you know, only some of us got into college because of affirmative action or because of this and that, uh, I want them to actually think twice before making statements like that so they can see the struggles that we have to deal with. I have to deal, had to deal with, you know, you have people that have had to deal with their parents and they're going to med school. They're dealing with their culture, cultural, uh, different issues that are unique to their cultural or ethnic community. And they still have to go to uh, law school or med school and they still succeed, right? With all of those barriers in mind. So I think those are the impressions I want people to take away from this story. Excellent. Well, this this has been this has been nice to, to hear the story. I know there'll be listeners who want to follow you and see in, in a non-creepy way, obviously, okay. uh, to see what it is you're doing, you know, things that you get published. Do you have a way for people to see when you publish something next? Yes, I do. You all can follow me on Instagram uh, uh, at Ramon Loves Writing. I have a writing page called Ramon Loves Writing, and that's where I post all of my uh, poems, uh, clips of my poetry, and short story that gets published. And usually I tell you where to find the link for it or where to access it. I also have a cooking page called Infinite Cooking Addict. So if you want to learn how to make birria, uh, if you want to learn how to make ceviche or other things, I also make tamales too. um, You can follow that page as well. Um, So Ramon Loves Writing, Infinite Cooking Addict. And I am working on releasing my first collection of poetry sometime next year. Um, nice. So when that comes out, I'll definitely announce it on my Instagram page. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for letting everyone know. So now you know, listeners, I'm going to the cooking page, especially because um, this story also made me hungry because the aunt was making a lot of delicious food. Um, and I'd like to I'd like to compare recipes. But, but thank you. Thank you for coming to the podcast and, and for telling us more about your story. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. <laughs>